Well, I want to I want to thank all of you again for the service you have rendered this past week toward our gathering for our Father's Heart meeting here in Atlanta. Well, I guess this is, is this Atlanta? Sort of Atlanta, huh? We call it Sort of Atlanta. I don't know how to say thank you enough to Pastor Bank and Sharon for their phenomenal uh, offering of care and love to us. Thank you so much. And uh, Tess and I are just so grateful to you. Don't just sit there and stare at me. I'm struggling here. <laughs> I just want to. Uh, I just want to tell you that being in this congregation, I had that sense in me again. What What did Ralph say that under part was? You know, I'm talking. Hypocenter. Hypocenter. Yeah. See. I got that sense in me again that this is a great hypocenter that is going to give greater birth to a great epicenter. And wherever you place your desire and your heart and your request is where that fault line comes up. That's where the tsunami is going to hit. I know it's a principle. We don't have time to talk it through again today. And I guess most of you were not here when we talked about that during the meeting. But you can right here create such an atmosphere and send such a force from this place. that You don't have to go there for it to happen. You can stand here and watch it take place in the nations of the world. And you are the congregation who prays for the world. This is the church of all nations. And I just thank you so much for your tremendous contribution to the kingdom of God. I'm blessed to uh, have members of the council who stayed over, Phil and Linda and Ed and Deb. And, and I want to also say, Marilyn, that you're such a blessing to us. Uh, Mark Hamby Ministries, thank you. We appreciate everything. Okay, now I guess I got to do my stuff, huh? Hey. Job 28. Now, we've been discussing a lot of things this week. And among those things, see, I'm having a problem here right now because I keep thinking that these are the folks that have been here all the week. And no, so I, was, uh, I can't really build too much on what we've said the last two or three days because you're saying, well, what was that all about? So I'll see if I can speak to you uh, as a church family this morning. Everybody still alive in here? That's pretty weak. Okay. I want to talk about some hidden secret things. I want to talk about three things in particular that the scripture calls, first of all, treasures. 
Next of all, they are mysteries, treasures and mysteries, and they are power points or power issues that if discovered, if discovered, change the course of our entire purpose. They turn the world around for us, okay? Surely there is a vein for the silver. 28.1, Job. Ah, there you go. And a place for gold where they find it, not where they find it, where they find it, refine. Okay? Have you ever heard of a refinery? Come on, talk back to me a little bit. Thank you very much. I just need to know you're out there, okay? So there's a place for silver, a vein, silver in a vein, a vein of silver in the earth. Make sense? And then there is a place for gold, and then they find it or refine it through heat and fire. Iron is taken out of the earth, and brass is molten out of stone. What he's really saying here is if you want silver, you've got to go mine the vein and if you want gold, you've got to get a fire so hot that it melts it right out of the quartz that it's hidden in. Iron is taken out of the earth, but you don't really get its value unless you heat it and it's molten out of the stone. Are, are we making any sense so far? Okay, see, before I go any farther, I've got to get you in here with me. Hi, guys. Are you all with me right now? So you understand what we're saying? You can get silver, but you've got to go dig and find that vein, right? Come on, help me now. You can get gold, but if you're going to get gold, somebody's got to get the fire really hot, over 2,000 degrees, and in order for it to actually be melted out of the quartz. And you can have iron, great iron, all the things it can be used for. It can be used for wheels. It can be used for the bodies of automobiles. It can be used for the shimmering, shining uh, structures of, of a jet in flight. But all of those things cannot happen unless there is a process. I think that's what I'm needing to say. There's a process by which that steel in its original condition gets molten or gets melted out of stone. So here we're starting to talk about, now what are we talking about gold and silver? We're talking about treasure, right? He setteth an end to darkness. He searcheth out all, here's another word, search it. Let's all say searches. He searcheth out all perfection, the stones of darkness and the shadow of death. The flood breaketh out from the inhabitant. Even the waters forgotten of the foot. They are dried up. They are gone away from men. This is an interesting thing. The old, I don't know how much you all, I know that a lot of you uh, have descendants from uh, your, your land, your native land, and mining in different parts of the world are all different. Out in the western part of this particular continent, the miners all went into the streams. Uh, 
when they're looking for gold. Have you ever heard of panning for gold? Yeah, they'd get down in the gravel and, and then they'd wash it and wash it and wash it. They'd say, oh, we got a little color here. because, But the gold was not created in the stream. The gold was discovered by the stream. The mother load is somewhere. See, if they want to find more gold, they move upstream. Because somewhere up far beyond, perhaps in the sides of the mountain where the tributaries and the rivulets and the spring thaws pull down the rocks and the mud, and in the mire come these nuggets and chips and pieces of gold. Because somewhere in the high places, there is a mother load. They're hidden somewhere. And the river discovers it and pulls it down and washes it down. And then because it's heavier than the other rocks and heavier than other stone, it drops and finds its secret places in the crevices of the stream and in the hidden bedrock. It'll go down below the gravel and down below. Am I boring you with all this? down below all the other stuff and they have to dig way down deep and search in the crevices and dig into the side rocks and so that they can find the treasure. There are certain things hidden in God and the Bible calls them unsearchable things. Here the passage says that if the flood breaks out of the inhabitant, now, I'm, I'm just laying some foundation here. The flood breaketh out from the inhabitant. An inhabitant is a thing that holds it in. What holds a river in? Something on each side. Banks. That's also, not this banks, but, but banks of a river hold the waters in. But if one bank is gone, if there is not a pure, then it ceases to flow. If you lose a bank of a river, then you create a marsh or a swamp. This is a place for rat rodents to rattle. This is a place for insects to breed. This is where you get all your mosquitoes and your malaria is in the swampy grounds. Somehow the waters broke out of an inhabitant. Somehow they were not able to be kept in. So the flow was stopped and everything became marshy. Now let me see if I can relate that to us and to what we are trying to, trying to secure here. In a congregation, in a family, and in a gathering, in worship and in praise and in prayer, these things become banks of a river. Okay? The Bible says in the 78th of Psalms, O thou that hearest prayer. You want to help me with this again? O thou that hearest prayer, unto thee shall all flesh come. So over here on one side we have Prayer. Over here it says, when it talks, praise waiteth for thee, O God, in Zion, 
and unto thee shall the vow be performed. Somewhere between prayer and your desire for what you want God to do and your praise and thanksgiving for what you know he can and will do. Somewhere between those two things. Then we pour in glory. That's what we came in here to do today. Giving him glory. Come on. Yes. That's all say. Yes. Yes. We're giving him glory. But if there are no banks into which to pour that, then all it does is it gets us all wet in this auditorium. And when we walk out the door, it's lost in the parking lot because it's dried up, it's forgotten of the foot, they're gone away from it. It doesn't have lasting value. Worship and praise in an auditorium and in a congregation without purpose only blesses you in its moment. You feel something and say, that was great. I had a great time at church today. It has no ongoing and lasting purpose. Okay? Are you still, are you still with me just a little bit? So what happens is I say, whoo, I went into service today and I was feeling so bad, but all the singing and the worship and the excitement and the emotion, I just got lifted up and I feel so much better now. Wow. And that's when we quote that famous old scripture. I was glad when they said unto me, let us go into the house of the Lord. I came in today and I thought I couldn't make it another mile. But you know, when I heard the saints of God singing and I heard the man of God preach, oh, hallelujah. Oh, my spirit just got all lifted up. And I'm telling you, I, that's when we get one hand behind. That's when you know you're moving on. But you only move as far as the door and then we got to all go get a hamburger because we're hungry. And so then, you know, by next Wednesday or by next Sunday, we got to pump this all up again because we simply are receiving in the house what we enjoy. It never dawns on us sometimes that coming in here is sort of like working in the Atlanta Coca-Cola Company. And we believe that we come as employees here to create just enough Coca-Cola for all the employees to drink today. And when we come back next week, we'll produce some more because everybody wants a Coke. So we're going to produce enough. So the church becomes the production company for its immediate need. So the em employees get the idea that what is being produced in this house, in this company, is for their consumption. And nobody backs up any semi-trucks and nobody's flying any planes to China, even though they're selling Cokes over there. Wouldn't it be amazing if you had a company and the only thing you produced was for the employees that work there? There is no income, there is no revenue, there is no support. You have actually no serviceable value to your community or to the world. This is what has happened to the traditional church. The traditional church considers that everything you do here 
belongs to the people who are here. And we measure that by a contemporary mental, human mental idea. And that is, I believe that everything that is real, I have to see it, I have to touch it, I have to taste it. It's not real if I cannot physically, visibly observe it. The spirit does not operate that way. There is no time or space with God. God can speak here and do something there. You should have learned that by modern technology. In this room right now, there are pictures. In this room right now, a symphony is playing. Did you know that? Did you know that in this room, don't want to hurt your feelings, all you spiritual folks, but there's a rock band going on. Hair flying, guitars being smashed, and all kinds. All you have to do is get the right kind of receiver or tuner, and if you twist it just to the right frequency, you can pick it up because it's here right now. Man has, it, with his ingenuity, discovered that much. How can we, as a spiritual people, not understand that this is only a manifestation of God's eternal ability that in this room right now, there are nations being shaken. In this room right now, there are families being delivered. In this room right now, addicts are being set free. In this atmosphere, and just because you can't see it, and just because you can't taste it or touch it, you don't think it exists. That's why people don't believe in God, because they can't touch him, taste him with their natural senses. It does not take away the fact that he is and that he is almighty. It doesn't take away the fact that he is eternal and powerful. It simply means that you can't get it if you don't mine for it. You're not gonna know it unless you get hot enough fire to melt it out of the quartz. And you'll never understand the glory of God until you're willing to put stone in fire and produce steel. Now that, I haven't even got to my thing yet here. And I'm supposed to be done here in 29 minutes. Because y'all do go home at noon, right? I'm just saying, you know, as they say, just saying. This goes on to say it's not just the search for treasure that's important in the stone. And that first of all, you've got to bind the flood. See, it comes on up and says, hey, look, the earth, out of it comes bread. Under, as turned up, as it were, fire. The stones of it are the place of, oh, wait, what's that? Well, down under there somewhere, there are sapphires. Wow, and it has dust of gold. Hey, as a matter of fact, there is a path. Somebody say path. Say way. Yeah, there's a way. There's a path which no fowl knoweth. I mean, you can't, the eagle can't fly high enough to see it, okay? And the vultures eye hath not seen it, and the lion's whelp hath not trodden it, nor the fierce lion passed by it with all of the, with all of the abilities 
of the, of the beasts of prey to hear, to see, to smell, to sense the prey. Even the lion, the mightiest of all of the beasts of the field can pass by this treasure and not even smell it or know it's there. Or the eye of an eagle can see a running, a running rabbit at 35,000 feet, almost seven miles. Can you imagine? And it hasn't seen the treasure yet either. I mean, there's gold and there's silver and there are mighty things that even the lion didn't find. The eagle didn't get it. The vulture, called vulture, it's eagle. That's what it is, the eagle. So what does God do? Well, he puts his hand upon the rock and he overturns the mountains by the roots. He cutteth out rivers among the rocks and then his eye sees every precious thing. See, God knows where the treasure is. <laughs> yeah, because the quartz hides the gold and the rock hides the steel. And the vein in the mountain hides the silver. Okay? Yeah. And somehow in the earth, the paths of all the wild beasts with all of their ability cannot smell it, cannot find it. The eagle can't see it. The lion didn't get it with all his. Nobody's got it. But God knows where it is. God knows where it is. I don't know how to live. He knows how I should live. I don't know where to go. He knows where I should go. And it's a treasure. It's a precious treasure. It's in the earth. It's hidden. It's here. Let's all say it's in the earth. Say it's in me. Oh. Say it's in me. See, there's a powerful treasure in each one of us. We all have enormous value to God. But it is not discovered by human senses. It can only be discovered by this great, mighty river. The river of God. He cutteth out rivers among the rocks. His eye seeth every precious thing. Look at verse 11. This one's going to get you now. You ready? He bindeth the floods from overflowing. And the thing that is hid... Bringeth he forth to light. What the eye couldn't see, what the ear didn't, eye hath not seen, ear hath not heard, what man cannot discover. And see, right back at the beginning, when he said, the flood breaketh out of the inhabitant, if you don't have something to hold that in, then it never has enough force. Am I making any sense to you? The gold is not discovered in a swamp. It's in a flowing, moving force because it's the force of the river that cuts down into the rock. You have to have banks in your river. You have to have that. I need to know where I want my force to go. Prayer is simply not trying to twist God to your agenda. Prayer is not trying to talk God into doing something for you. Prayer should be a positive directive toward what you know God intends to do. 
Praise, on the other hand, builds another bank and saying, I'm thanking you because you're doing it right now. I want to go back to something else here just for a minute that you won't ever call this good preaching, but I just want to impart something to you. In our worship and in our services, if all we're doing is coming in here to be blessed, if all we're doing is coming so we'll feel better, if I don't understand that I am here to turn the knobs on my spiritual receiver, I'm in here to see if I can't sense in the spirit what God is directing me toward because somewhere in the spirit there are treasures, hidden treasures. I'm going to name three of them for you, okay? First of all, there are the unspeakable riches of God. Let's all say riches. The unspeakable riches of God. And the unspeakable riches of God are his grace. The unspeakable riches of grace. The church, I know you've been preaching it here, but the church in general, as we know it in our background, has so small and little knowledge of the grace of God. We have lived in a spirit of condemnation and a spirit that continually tries to reach people by a sin consciousness. Rather than preaching grace, we've preached fear. We, want, we reach people. If you don't get right, something terrible is going to happen. And we try to reach people by fear. I said this past week, if you reach them by fear, You've got to keep them by fear. Fear is not the government of the kingdom. The kingdom of God does not flow, move, or operate in fear. The kingdom of God operates in love. There is no greater force in the world than love. The scripture says love is stronger than death. There's no power in the world that can be exercised in human life stronger than the power of love. That's right. Grace. Oh, the unsearchable riches. Say unsearchable. No, no, no. Come on. Say unsearchable. You're not going to get those just by smelling around, even if you're big as a lion. You're not going to get that just by looking around, even if you've got the eye of an eagle. You follow me? You can't just walk out through the wilderness and you're not just going to stumble on to gold. You've got you to dig somewhere. You've got to mine down. You've got to, because these are hidden things. These are hidden treasures. Pastor, I think the reason why I'm on this is because I'm probably preaching to the choir here. Maybe I should be, maybe I should be preaching to the spirit for the church in general because I know how your people search and how you dig and I understand the plumbing of the plumbing of the spirit that goes on in this church in this house I understand that but let me see if I can just speak to you as though I were speaking to the church world all right can I do that can I can I use you as a sounding board can I do that all right you gonna let me go ahead Oh, go ahead. He said, go ahead, go ahead. Okay, here's the issue. 
If I come here simply to enjoy what I have, then I'm satisfied with the trinkets that are given me by just normal religious activity. If I want gold, if I want treasure, something has got to move. Something's got to change. And it won't happen. See, we say the water of the spirit, the, the spirit is water out of your belly show Flow river, yeah, not, not, not swamps, rivers of living water. And so we think just because we get wet, we're going to find the treasure. That's not true. Just because I go to church, I'm doing the work of God. You're not blessing God just by showing up. I'm sorry, but just by being here is not doing God any great favors. You're doing yourself a favor. You're not doing God a favor. And you didn't come in here just to have a church service. I guess that's I need to tell. Are y'all listening to me back here? You didn't come here just to go to church or have a church service. Some things were supposed to happen. You should have brought your mining equipment with you. You should have brought a pick and a shovel. Why did you come in here just in your fine clothes? You need to put on your jeans. I'm not talking about fit. You should have come here with your boots on. Not fancy stuff. In your spirit, you should have come here ready to mine and to dig. You need to pull this bank up over here and pull that bank up over there. And then when we worship and we're praising God, now we're going to pour this tide, this glory into this channel. Where's it going to go? Did you prescribe a place for it to go? Did you back up a truck and say, I want this Coca-Cola that we're producing here today to wind up in Bismarck, North Dakota. And I want what we're producing here in Atlanta today to wind up in Los Angeles, California. And what I'm producing in this house today, I want this to wind up over here in Baltimore. Did you prescribe, is there any bank on any side that you have, got, that you have taken from your heart in desire to some point of your need. I'm not making sense, am I? I am making sense? I'm making sense? Well, astonish me. I'm trying to help myself here. On the other side, when I'm worshiping and I'm saying, he's a great and mighty God, I'm not just trying to make him feel good about himself. I told you, I, I've told you before, you know this. You can't make God feel better. He's already better. You can't make him great. He's already great. You say, oh, we've come to build him up. No, you can't. He's already high and lifted up. There's nothing you can do or say in this room that's going to make God any bigger, any better, any mightier. Any... No. What you really are doing is saying, I am coming into a conscious understanding of the authority and the power of this God. He is amazing. He is, he is phenomenal. I am going to pour that into my river because the more I understand that and the deeper I make this and the stronger I make my banks, the stronger the current. You see, because truth must be held in tension. The mighty Colorado in the bottom of the Grand Canyon they say 400 million years ago it was a gentle stream. Probably not more than just a few feet deep and as far 
as a mile wide. And now with the wind, and now with the years, and now with the erosion, it has come down through the sandy soils, and down through the sandstone, and down into the deeper parts of the rock, and now down into the granite. And so it has become narrower and narrower and narrower. And a few years ago, I decided I wanted to go down the Colorado River on a raft, you know, one of those rafts. So I called West Expeditions. Those are the ones that take you on a raft ride. Anybody ever been down the Colorado River in the Grand Canyon? Did you say yes? Say what? Hoover Dam. No, I ain't talking about damming nothing up. I'm talking about blowing the dam down. <laughs> yeah, well, that's on the Colorado. You're right about that. You're right about that. But if you get up in the, where the Grand Canyon is, and it gets, sometimes that flood that used to be a mile wide and about this deep, now it's narrowed down until it's less than 100 yards across, sometimes only 50 yards across. So what used to be gentle and flowing has now gotten squeezed, and the tighter you squeeze it. See, this is a, this is a f number five rapids. Yeah, I wanted to go down. You know what they told me? It'll take two years for you to get on a waiting list. I said, what? They said, you have no idea how many people want to go down the Colorado River on these rafts. I said, I'm going to go this year. I said, no, no. No, there's a two-year waiting list. We can put you on the waiting list. I said, I'll be too old. I'll be too old by the time you let me go. I want to go now. Can't go now. Too many people wanting to do it. See, and what makes it so powerful and exciting is that the walls, the granite walls, he carveth out rivers among the rocks. <clears throat> but you say, so what's the big deal? The big deal is that the tighter the walls and the more tension you put on them, the more power in the river, the deeper it flows. That's what discovers the treasure. What discovers the treasure is the power of the flow. If we are simply bathing in the glow of his presence, we are only satisfying ourselves in this moment. If I don't get some sense that I have got to discover the grace of God, there's a treasure in grace that has been left. There's another one. That is the uncomprehensible or this unsearchable way of God. Because the unsearchable ways of God, if I don't understand his unsearchable, I'm boring these people to death. I'm sorry. I'm so used to preaching to a bunch of preachers. I, I hate to tell you, they're harder to preach to than you all are. They're stubborn. They're set in their ways, and they know everything. Are y'all getting anything from what I'm trying to tell you? 
And what I'm trying to explain is that I don't come in here just to feel good. I don't come in here to get a blessing. I'm not coming in here just to see if God will just help me today. I'm not coming in here to drink all the Coke I produce. I want to load up an 18-wheeler. I want to go out and load up a cargo plane. I want what I produce in this house. I don't need, I don't need all of this. I am in a, let's all say we are a production company. And we're not here to produce just enough for the employees to get. I want to create so much force and so much power that I start discovering these treasures of God. There are treasures that I will never find simply by going to church. I'm only going to find those when I get purpose and say, I know that God called me with a powerful purpose. I am not here just to see what I can get. I am searching for treasure. Come on, say it. I am searching for treasure. I know it's in this room. I just have to find the right frequency. And so my worship is a tuning mechanism. That's why I'm saying he's mighty. He's great. He's awesome. And after all, you go, boom. Whoa, what was that? Build a bank right there. When the, when the sound comes on in your spirit, that's why, that's why you say, I expect that my son is going to be changed. That's why you say, I know that God is about to fix my family. I know that God is about to change my circumstance. I know that God is moving on this nation right now. So, I thank you for it. See, come on, get your banks up. Hurry, get your bank up. Because if you can get that, if you can get, make that stone, if you can make that firm enough in your spirit, if you can firm up the banks of that river, suddenly you're going to find grace. Grace is going to happen for that thing. You're going to start understanding things you didn't understand before. You don't know why your son acted that way. You don't know why your husband is in prison. You can't figure out why those things should have been. The truth is that you have only known the judgments or the acts of God, but you did not understand the ways of God because his acts and his ways are not always the same. Because what I see manifesting is not necessarily indicative of what God is doing. He showed his ways to Moses. He showed his acts to the children of Israel. They're just acting it out. They're just, you know, moving with the fire, moving with the cloud, all that. But Moses understood something they didn't understand because Moses understood his ways. Sometimes God uses some weird ways to dig down to find treasure. Sometimes things that you think are tragic are really blessings in disguise. Joseph looks up one day at his brothers and said, you meant it unto me for evil. It looks bad. You threw me in a pit. You sold me down the river. You put me in Potiphar's house. I got light on. I've been in jail. Do you understand? I've been in prison. You thought you had me gone. But God meant it unto me. See, the act of God and the ways of God are not the same. And if you don't dig a little bit, you will never understand that. And you'll always be begging God to fix your circumstance instead of letting the river discover the treasure and the unspeakable things 
He calls his ways. The ways of God. And now he stands in front of his brothers. And he recognizes them. They're born in Bethlehem. House of Beth. House. La of Ham. Bread. Bethlehem. They're born in the house of bread. They are sired there. Their father is there. Ten of them are there. Wow. Eleven actually now with Benjamin being born. Eleven sons. And they are all going to die in church. Bethlehem. They're going to die in the house of bread. If they don't have someone among them who has this force in him. I had a vision. I saw stars. I saw moon. I saw sun bowing down. I, did you really think that your father and your mother and your brothers would bow down to you? I didn't think. I wasn't thinking. I just saw it. God's not looking for thinking people. He's looking for desire and purpose. He wants you to have a spiritual anxiety that says you give me children or I'm going to die. You show me your ways. I don't care what it takes. The acts I can put up with if you will simply show me thy way, oh God. Because I know that that's a hidden thing. I know it's a treasure. Because it's the unsearchable ways of God and the unsearchable judgments of God. And judgments are his acts. Say judgments. Say, I don't want any judgment. No, 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 you need judgment. We all, that's how God makes decisions as to how he accomplishes reconciliation. Say, I was going to get to that today, but since I've only got, oh, I'm two minutes over. Two minutes and 18 seconds. Good God Almighty, I'm done. I'm dead. Can I have three more minutes? And then we'll decide at that point how many more I need, okay? If I can discover the grace of God, and if I can discover the ways of God, and then I can endure the acts of God. But these are all hidden things. See, what's happening? They're beating him now mercilessly they're whipping him until his back looks like a plowed field they have pressed thorny crowns down into his brow until they have created these little tributaries of blood across his visage until his face looks like a road map they've plucked out his beard and hanging from his hair is the rubbery mucus from men who have cleared their throat and spit on him. He is now being thrown down on that wounded back, now down on a rugged piece of wood. 
They are twisting his limbs, the right foot over the left, so that the hips go in this way, and then throwing the right arm back that way. It's called the art of crucifixion. You don't just nail him up like a canvas on a frame. You twist the lower body this way, and then twist the upper body this way, and put the spike through the heel of the hand into the wood, and then throw this part out this way, and his feet are straight down. No little stand like the artist's paint for him to stand on. The feet are this way so that when they pull him up to stretch his arms, his foot is in a straight down position, which puts a cramp in his calf and in his thigh instantly. Within two hours every cartilage between the vertebrae will begin to pull and to tear, and it will pull on every nerve in the body so that all of the organs of the body start to break down. It doesn't look very good because all you're seeing are the acts of God. And you could not imagine that it pleased God to bruise him. And until you can build your bank strong enough and put power and truth into tension, you will always be a muddy pond and a bitter swamp. You'll enjoy the wetness of presence, but never the power of torrent and force. And treasures will be hidden from you because you are one of those glassy Christians who just go out and say, I'm saved, hallelujah, and never understand what the purpose of God for your life was. And now they've pulled him up so tightly until he flexes on it a little. It's when they drop that whole cross member into the ground boom, that everything in him starts tearing. Now... His muscles tensing and tearing are pulling apart the vascular portions of his body. Now the pectorals are pulling back away from the ribcage and his abs are pulling back away up into his upper arms. His biceps are twisted under his arms. Now big black sacks of blood because the arteries are bleeding internally. He's bleeding from every orifice of his body. His eyes, his ears, his nose, his mouth, his rectum. He is a wreck. He is a horror. As a matter of fact, the prophet looked at him and said, he was wounded. He was wounded. He was marred. 619 soldiers have taken the liberty to slap him as hard as they can. It's called smiting with an open hand. As hard as, you, not a fist, but as hard as you can hit him in the face. With an, 619 times. His face looks like a piece of liver. His tongue is swelled and lolling out of his mouth. They've whipped him with that cat of nine tails until it's ripped his abdomen open. His bowels are sticking out and in the sun they're turning black. What was the water and the fluid of his body has now become a place for the buzzing flies. In a few hours, the maggots will take over all of those places. He is hanging there. This is not nice. You and I would say, this is a horror scene. And all of the principalities and powers of darkness who never knew the secret. If they had known who he was, they would never have crucified the Lord of glory. Because what was a horrible, terrible act in the flesh was the way God chose to take your sins away. 
And if you had known the ways of God, you could have rejoiced at the foot of the cross. My God, my God, why hast, hast thou forsaken me? Ah. And now he's down, pulling on every muscle. And he's trying to stand, but his, his legs are cramped too badly. And then he's down again, flexing up and down. He can't breathe now. He's, this is horrible. No, no, no. This is truth intention. This is a deep river. Never a river this deep. Never has there been ever a plan so significantly and artfully performed. Never has there been submitted to mankind ever as the architects of all possibilities ever a plan to redeem the unredeemed so significantly as a bloody cross. You would never have dreamed that could ever Unless you had found grace. Ah. And unless you had discovered his way. Oh. <laughs> he, he, his death is my death. His agony. Yeah. See if all it had been was the physical pain. But then when you start understanding that he was full of cancer when he died. And he was a child molester when he died. And when you understand, he was a murderer and a rapist. Oh, yeah. You thought he died the sinless lamb? No, 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 no. No, the sinless one drank the cup of iniquity. The sin of the whole world was raging in his veins. Your diabetes was in him. Your heart ailment was in him. All of the anger that you have in your life was in him. The discontent, the malcontent, and all of the sense of loneliness and the feeling you have of being used and the sense that you have of being a martyr. All of that was in all of these conflicting things. Because you see, it can't just be one thing. That would be too smooth. It's got to be, I heard you say last night, he shouted, the joy. But that was for the joy that was set before. I've almost got it done. I've almost got it done. I've almost got it done. Yes. Ah. Ah. And so, some of us in this next generation, will not be satisfied with our personal salvation. Some of us will never rest until we have mined, mining, mining into the spirit to find the gold and the riches of his grace. Because if I understand his ways, Pastor Phil, I suddenly come face to face with his sovereignty that no matter what's going on in my life he planned it all the good the bad and the ugly and only when I can get deep enough 
Go ahead, stand up. It's okay. Let's stand. Let's all stand. Only when I can get deep enough and let the river run deep enough and let the waters get deep enough, only then can I understand that all things, let's say things. I'm talking about stuff. Say stuff. Come on, say things. Not all good things, all things. All things. Work. That's right. They work together. You've got to have, you've got to have truth. If you don't think so, watch what God does. In a world so unredeemed, the Bible says to wit. Oh, watch this. God was in Christ. So you want reconciliation? God was in Christ. The only way you get reconciliation is to put the enormous Yahweh, the creator of the whole world, the one who spat into darkness, the sun, the moon, the stars, simply the spittle of his lips into the blackness of nothing. When he struck his phallic word into the womb of nothing and said, let there be light. And suddenly the heavens exploded with a billion, billion galaxies. When you understand that that God, that enormous God, who maintains all of the worlds by his word, who keeps everything in order by his simple word. When you understand that he took himself and he put himself into a human body. You are putting truth in tension. Wow. And then if you want to see truth in tension, he takes Christ. It was to it God was in Christ reconciling the world. And then you take Christ and say, it is Christ in you. Oh, you mean the, the power and the authority and the glory of that cross is now in me. Yeah, but, I'm, but I've got to, no, 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 no. He put the treasure in earthen vessels. He knows who you are. He knows our faith. He knows all of that. He understood all of that. Quit trying to be as holy as you can be. You can't get holy enough. Just try to love who is in you. If you start loving what is in you, you will become what he wants you to be. And then you want to see what the real, you want to see what the real, real tension is? He took you and put you in his world. A world of struggle, a world of greed, a world of wicked ideas. Truth in tension. It's the only thing that finds the treasure. If you're comfortable in your Christianity, that's all good until you decide this is not just Coca-Cola for me. We are here to produce something for the whole wide world. Coca-Cola is in 170 nations of the world. They make it in Atlanta, but they send it to the world. My challenge to you is, are you willing to make it here? and send it everywhere. That's it. Father, I ask you today that you will put in the hearts and the minds of your people the greatest of all desires, and that is not to be who we are,
but to be who you are in your world. Teach me not to look at the things that are made because they're only temporary. Because the unseen things are eternal. Show me your grace. I'm willing for the river to run deep. Show me your grace. Say it with me. Show me your grace. Everybody say, show me your grace. Show me your way. Show me your work. thank you oh Lord I bless your manservant and the lady of God today in this house I thank you for the tremendous search in their spirit for grace and now we'll come an understanding of sovereignty and then you are about to bring us all into an understanding of your reconciliation you did not choose to save a few. You chose to save us all. And as we start this journey into the deep things of God, give us courage to challenge the theologies that failed, the theories that have never worked, and find the truth that never fails. In Jesus' name, amen.